What is one of the biggest problems in your life? <laughs> people, am I right? I mean, if it weren't for other people, most of our problems would just go away. In fact, let's just go ahead and admit it up front. Most of my biggest frustrations on a day-to-day -day basis are that I cannot get other people to do what they ought to do. If people would just act right, talk right, be right, then my life would be so much easier. Now, that might be a little much, but I bet most of you would admit there are many times in your week, maybe even in your day, where you say, why do they do that? Why did they say that? Why did they post that? Why look like that? Act like that? Be like that? People are a challenge. And most of us think, my life would be great if I could only have the right people around me all the time. But life doesn't work like that, does it? But here at Community Christian Anywhere, we believe that even though life and the people in our life can be difficult and complicated and tiring at times, Jesus offers us a life that is good and pleasing, rich and satisfying. But that life only comes about when we learn from Jesus how to do every part of our lives. Because here at Community Christian, we believe that Jesus is right about everything. And Jesus said that the greatest command of God is that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. And who is your neighbor? Anyone who's next to you? It's all the people around you, the easy ones and the difficult ones, the ones that are life-giving and those that just suck the life out of you. The best life possible, a truly rich and satisfying life is one where we love God and we love everyone always. So even though most of us carry around this idea that people are a challenge and a problem, and we wish we could have less of the problem people around us, Jesus says that learning to love all the people in your life is what it takes to have a good and pleasing life. And that's what we're going to be discussing in this video today. How to deal with our anger, our judgment, and our longing to control the difficult people in our lives so that we can truly love everyone always, just as Jesus loves us. And even though that may not seem like a very great goal for your life, we believe it's the best way to experience a good life. So no matter who you are or what you even believe about God, I hope you'll stick around. Because no matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you. He is for you and only has good in mind for you. And we want to help you discover all God has for you. Hi, my name is Kelly and welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. Throughout this series, we've been looking at Jesus' most famous teaching as he describes for his followers the good life that God has intended for us. It's the life lived under the reign and rule of God. Jesus is forming a community of loving redemption for every part of this world. And his project is to change people. And the place he starts is with anger. There's so much of this section that's about anger and its effects and impacts as a part of our lives. But the truth is, we have a hard time taking responsibility for our anger, even the way we talk about it. If I get really angry, I'll say something happened to my temper. Not that I did something, but instead, I blame it on my temper. I'll say, I lost my temper. I had it, and then all of a sudden, that slippery little thing got lost. I'm sorry, I have it again, all's well. 
But Jesus is clear. Anger is our number one problem, and it shows up in so many ways. He first talks about it in the words we say to each other in anger. He says, don't call somebody a particular name. And he's not making a rule that this one word is bad. He, he's describing a way that anger leaks out in our speech. And then he talks about physical violence and feeling like I'm doing a good job with my anger just as long as I don't murder anybody. And from there, he goes on to dealing with enemies and the need to turn the other cheek and go the second mile when you didn't even want to go the first mile. In all of those examples, uh, being situations where anger will naturally be a problem. And sometimes people think Jesus is just sort of going in random order. But the best thinking is that he's probably not because we know for sure anger is the number one problem for spiritual life. Why is it the number one problem? Because it gets at your kingdom and mine. See, we all have a kingdom. Your kingdom is where your will is in charge. Your will is your ability to choose, to create, to initiate. It's a form of energy. It makes things happen. What's anger? Well, first of all, anger is our spontaneous response when our will gets frustrated. It's our will saying, hey, something's in our way. It, something is in the way of my way. Our, our will is energy. So anger, it's a form of negative personal energy. The purpose of anger is to alert us to, that something's wrong and it energizes us to take action and fix it, which quickly goes to, I wanna hurt whatever is in the way of my will. So I'm late for work and I'm getting dressed and when I go to tie my shoes, I pull too hard and the shoelace breaks and my first thought is, stupid shoelace. Now, I'm an intelligent person. I know a shoelace can't be stupid because a shoelace can't be smart. But my words are an expression of my frustration that I want to destroy the stupid shoelace. And of course, my daily problem is that in our world, it's just not set up to please my will. And of course, the biggest problem is not just stupid shoelaces. The number one cause of anger is what? It's people. My will being frustrated makes me think, that stupid person, which really gets at the problem Jesus is concerned with. It's not my emotion. It's not even my will being frustrated. It's that now my will is turned against a person. I wanna believe they're stupid and bad and deserving of bad things happening to them. In fact, there's a section of Jesus teaching here that I think way too often we read incorrectly because we allow ourselves to read it with difficult people in mind and how naturally we want to think of reacting to them. It comes right after Jesus' teaching that almost everybody knows where he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, in our culture, this may be the favorite teaching of Jesus that we angrily shout as we judge people for judging us. Then right after these verses that everybody knows, Jesus says these amazing words. Do not give dogs what's sacred. 
Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So in this passage, we see some people are swine. Some people, not, not you, not me, no, of course not. Some people, they're just no good. They can't appreciate what's sacred and holy. It's like they have a spiritual disability. You have pearls, pearls of wisdom, pearls of truth, pearls of good advice, pearls that could straighten people out if only they would receive your words. But they're just spiritual dogs. You, you know other people of other religions, liberals, conservatives, those people. So just don't waste your time on them. They aren't worth it. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Well, believe it or not, that's what I have had people tell me that those words mean. But the problem with that is the Bible makes clear that all humanity's turned away from God and that Jesus says of himself, I did not come for righteous people, those that are spiritually healthy, and I came for those who are spiritually sick. So Jesus himself, who was God in the flesh, could have counted the whole world as unworthy, but instead he, the pearl of great price, gave himself for us. And so we have to remember, when I read something in the Bible that seems to contradict who we know Jesus to be, we need to doubt not that he said the words, we need to doubt the way we're hearing what is in the Bible. Remember, Jesus says these words in the immediate context of not pronouncing judgment on people. And then it appears like he says, well, it's okay to judge some people, they're just pigs. So we have to know that that can't be what he meant. So the question becomes, what does it mean? And how does it help me deal with difficult people? Many scholars believe that what Jesus is getting at is the big difference between judgment and discernment. Judgment is me looking at the behavior of a person and saying, dude, you are a problem. You're a liar and a pig. That's judging a person. We look at their behavior and we sum up the whole person. Discernment is when I look at the same behavior, but instead I just say, man, you lied. And when you lie, it breaks trust with me. And so there are consequences for that. It's the difference between shaming another person and talking with another person about things we are guilty for doing. Discernment is aimed at helping them see the wrongness of the behavior. Judgment is about dumping shame on a person as you vent your anger. So what Jesus says a loving person doesn't do is we don't judge people. We first deal with the log in our eye. Well, what's the log in our own eye? That's most often the anger that boils up in us when people don't behave in the ways we want them to behave. We remove that log of anger and then we talk to them about their wrong behavior. That's judgment versus discernment. But what about this command to not throw our pearls before swine? What is that supposed to mean? Well, I think Jesus is trying to be a little funny here. And think about it, what good is a pearl to a pig? Can a pig understand how beautiful and valuable a pearl is? Pearls aren't any good for pigs. A pearl is a good thing. It's a valuable thing. And don't miss this, a pig is a good thing. His point is, pearls are of no use to pigs. And if you are constantly trying to feed pigs pearls, you might find out that a hungry pig will turn on you and devour you like a dog. And you can't really blame the pig. The pig was doing what you'd expect a pig to do. You were the one who was feeding the pig the wrong thing. And so this isn't about Jesus claiming some people are just pigs that aren't worth your time. 
Jesus' analogy of pigs and pearls has a lot to do with how we should be living with the people in our lives that we find difficult. And it starts with us discerning where they are in life and what would be the most helpful to them. Not what I want them to hear or what I want to get off my chest. What would be most helpful to them? But in order to do that, I first have to deal with me and my anger. Because even if I don't want to admit it, anger that I've not dealt with leaks out all of the time. And it does damage to me and to everyone around me. And you know this because you've driven in traffic before. Most of us divide the world into two kinds of drivers, the reckless maniacs who are more aggressive than me and the idiots who need to speed up or get out of my way. And what that should tell us is not anything about the other drivers on the road, but about our angry desire to have everyone do what I want them to do. Because here's the truth. If I don't deal with my anger, I will make you deal with my anger, and I will find it almost impossible to regularly follow Jesus and how I treat people and truly love them always. So I have to deal with my anger, but I'm still faced with the problem of other people who do wrong things. How do I deal with them but not give them what isn't helpful? You know, pearls to pigs. Well, I want to quickly show you something that Jesus and his disciples would have known very well, but because we aren't as familiar with the wisdom writing in the Bible as they were, we might miss it. See, the Bible has three categories of people that are important for us to keep in mind. And if you look at them correctly, they help me know what to do and how to provide hope for the person. Uh, this is out of the Old Testament book in the Bible called Proverbs, which is really just a collection of wise sayings on how to live. Many of them are written as a parent speaking to a maturing child. Proverbs 9, 6 says, leave your inexperienced ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. And if you have the parent-child thing in mind, you might think that after saying, hey, it's time to grow up, leave your inexperience behind, and start life, that the parent would say, so here is how you handle money, or here is how you handle work, or marriage, or all the things that we think are really important. But instead of talking about that, it talks about dealing with people. The writer says, anyone who corrects a fool will bring dishonor on himself. The one who rebukes a wicked man will get hurt. So don't bother correcting a fool, they will only hate you. Correct a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will become even wiser. Still teach a righteous man, and he will learn more. It's interesting, it says, you've gotta leave behind your autopilot kind of life. Just reacting to all the maniacs and idiots in your world, leave that behind, and as you grow, you'll learn how to discern and not treat all people exactly the same. Because if you do, well, there's no hope for that. And, and people will seem to be your problem. But if you treat them differently, then you have a lot of hope and you have a chance to love everyone always. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Someone doesn't behave the way you know they should behave. You handle your anger. You don't judge them as either being a maniac or an idiot, but you see their behavior, it's not correct. So you need to discern, is this person, is this a person who will welcome having something that is valuable, like a pearl? Is this someone who will welcome having someone show them their error? So Jesus, right after that says, you ask, you seek, you knock. And often we think of this as prayer, and it, it, it is, 
but let's apply it in the context that Jesus gave it, pigs and pearls and people and judgment. Well, what could that mean? It might mean you go into a situation and you're asking God to help you discern and you're watching the response of the person to their environment. You aren't allowing your anger to influence, but you are noticing, and then you knock. And a knock is something you do when you don't have control. You need someone else to open the door and let you in. You knock to see who is really there. So let's start with the easiest one. Who is the wise person and how do you know? Well, they aren't necessarily the smartest person you know or the most talented person. According to the Bible and the best psychological input of our day, a wise person is a person that when light shows up, they move toward the light. If you say to a wise person, hey, in our last interaction, you know, we had, what you said, it hurt me. Could we talk about that? When you say that kind of thing to a wise person, you see their eyes light up and you see their body language move toward you and they say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's figure that out. I, I don't wanna do that. What a wise person wants to know is, how can I adjust myself to the truth that's being shown to me? There's a story I heard years ago about a young leader. I can't remember who it was or I'd give you the right attribution, but he's surrounded by older leaders. And as he tells a story about something happened in his life, one of the older leaders says to him, young man, would you like some feedback on how you handled that situation? And the young guy leans in and says, yeah, man, give me a gift. That was a wise young man who had a really bright future. The Bible says when we give gifts of correction to wise people, they just get wiser. So you see a behavior that's not correct, you ask, you seek, and then like the older leader said, hey, would you like some feedback? What's he doing? That's a little knock on the door. Hey, is there a wise person in there? When they open the door with bright eyes, you coach them, you encourage them. When you give that person a pearl, they get a jewel. But what about the next category? You ask, you seek, you knock. And what do you do when you find you have a foolish person? Now, I need to just say, like with the wise person, isn't the smartest person you know? The foolish person isn't stupid. They aren't untalented. They aren't slow. Uh, what defines a fool? R remember what happens to the light with the wise person? They come alive, they lean in. But with the fool, it's just the opposite. You will not get a happy face when you give them feedback. You know why? Because light hurts their eyes. The Bible says and all the research in the world that we know about the way people respond to feedback is there are people that, by and large, they just seem allergic to any truth about themselves. And so when you ask and you seek and you knock, what you get back is defensiveness and shifting the blame back to you. And right away, you know. And often, if you aren't paying attention, you just keep trying to reason with them as if they were listening, but they hadn't been listening for a long time, which is why the verse reads, don't correct a foolish person. Once you know that a person in front of you will not receive feedback from you, you have to stop trying to reason with them. Talking does not help because they don't see themselves as the problem. They see you as the problem. So we're not gonna talk. So what are we gonna do? Well, let me say this. There are a lot of, there's a lot of hope for foolish people in, in our lives. 
but not from talking about their problem. Instead, you present the foolish person with limits and consequences. You say something like, I wanna live in a sober environment, or I wanna be around people that don't yell at me, or in my business, we have quarterly objectives and I don't wanna miss another deadline. And since talking about it hasn't helped, I now have a problem. And the problem is this, I don't want any of these things happening anymore. So if it happens again, then you won't be living here. If it happens again, you won't be working here or I'll be moving out. There will be consequences. You have to have limits and consequences on the collateral damage they're creating. Now, let me get back to what Jesus said and how this helps us live the good, loving life. We have to get something clear. The foolish people in our life, by and large, they're not trying to hurt you. They may be destroying your life or your company or your family or your marriage. You may be getting hurt. You know, if, if you got an addict, they will often destroy families. But if you wanna deal with this lovingly, you have to get clear. They're not trying to hurt anybody else. They're just trying to avoid responsibility. And collateral damage, everybody else gets hurt. So the first thing you've got to do is stop judging them as bad. Instead, discern their behavior so you can do something redemptive. If you keep allowing your anger to judge them, you keep on yelling, you keep on arguing, and I've seen this so often with families, parents with kids, spouses with each other, when you start yelling, the foolish person has so much of your anger to focus on, they never have to deal with the chaos their foolishness is creating. But I've also seen it when one person can allow the Lord to help them with their anger and they discern what's happening, there's a lot of hope for foolish people like me to see the folly of our ways and we can grow wise. There's hope for you and for the people in your life. People are a gift if we can stop judging and start seeing how to help each other by discerning where we are. Stop hitting each other with pearls. If you look for flaws, you'll find flaws, I guarantee you. If you start searching for faults, you will always be successful. But you'll also spend a lot of time in your life thinking other people are your problem. You might find yourself wondering, why don't people seem to want to be around me? Throwing pearls at people who don't want them? It's a lonely way to live. So the teaching here is if the pig isn't ready for your pearl, don't push your pearl. Part of loving everyone is not just knowing what to say, it's knowing when to say it. And just as importantly, knowing when not to say it. This is from the book of Proverbs. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. I don't think most of us really need an explanation for that verse at all. As we come to the end of this, I just want to be clear. The point of Jesus' teaching on judging and the discerning part of the pig and pearl is not, hey, don't confront. It's not, don't set boundaries. It's not, don't enforce consequences. We all need people in our lives that will do those things for us so we can be the people we want to be. But Jesus' point is, don't force your wisdom on a non-receptive person. Give up your desire to control any other human being. And I know, I mean, I know, this is really, really hard for parents with children they love. This is really difficult for spouses whose marriage is in danger because their partner doesn't even seem to notice. But I want to remind you, every person you meet 
has their own little kingdom, their heart, their mind, their will. They have the ability to decide what happens in their kingdom. It's not your kingdom. You cannot make sure any human being turns out right. You will have to do what your Father in Heaven does. You'll have to let them go. and You will have to make room for God to do what He can do. And that's where hope comes in. Because He loves them more than you do. He loves them like He loves you. And He is at work to bring about good for them and for you. So pray and love. God's the only one who can enter into their little kingdom at the very deepest level. As you go from one relationship to another, ask God this question. God, will you help me see what you see when you look at these people? Will you help me to think what you think and feel what you feel and say what you say? And then a little bit of his kingdom will come from up there down here through you and flow to them. And you will find that even if things aren't great, you are becoming good. Jesus invites each of us into a way of life where we can freely and easily love everyone in our life without feeling the need to control or fix them. But this is easier said than done. It's why we need a community of others who can encourage us and help us understand how to love and serve while still holding wise boundaries and confronting wrongdoing. And we'd love to help you take a step right now into community where you can learn from Jesus how to love everyone always just as He loves us. All you have to do is text the words next step to the number you see on the screen. Someone from our team would love to reach out and help you take whatever your next step with God and our community is. You're not committing to anything by texting. You're just starting a conversation. So please reach out now. No matter what you do, I hope you leave knowing that with God and with His people, there is no judgment or shame. Because no matter what you think about God, He can't stop thinking about you.